unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome to this week's program. Coming up, a little blast from the past. With the rebirth of the USFL, I'm going back in time to the original league and bringing back one of my favorite players. From the Orlando Renegades, wide receiver Joey Walters will join us. He also just wrapped up a 20-plus year career at Florida Citrus Sports. Joey is standing by in the virtual green room, and we will talk to him in just a few moments. John Rahm wins the U.S. Open, and I guess, uh, you know, that was well-deserved, not just because he made two incredible putts at 17 and 18 to win the tournament, but uh, after getting the COVID ending to his tournament at the Memorial Lady by six strokes, at least the the slide in the scoreboard turned in his favor, and he is the U.S. Open champion, his first major. And boy, how about the blow-up by Bryson DeChambeau? He DeChambeau up. <laughs> Man, he shot, what, 44 in the back nine and just had, what, had, a, had a snowman. Uh, you know, and this whole thing with Kepka, uh, you know, and they're talking about how good it's, you know, it's good for the game and all that. I don't know about you, and maybe it's that conspiracy theorist in me, but I think that thing is just a little more contrived than it is on the surface. I think there's a little WWE kind of thing going on there. Get a little face and heel action, and uh, they try to stir it up a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, it draws eyeballs. Hey, what the heck? And this week in Major League Baseball, the pitcher's now being checked for in substances. As the crackdown starts on that, the spin rates, um, since uh, they announced they were going to start cracking down, have gone down. So pitchers are already backing off the substances, if you will. But uh, as it were, you just take a look at uh, see what happens over the next few weeks. The pitchers are being checked as they come off the mound. Um Will anybody get caught? We'll have to wait and see if anybody tries to uh, sneak one past and and uh, and get away with it. But uh, so far, so good after the first few days of that. It is my pleasure to welcome to the program with news of the USFL returning in 2022. I thought I would go back and uh, talk to one of the stars of Orlando's USFL team back in the 80s. And he just also concluded a long career at Florida Citrus Sports. My pleasure to welcome Joey Walters to the show. Joey, thank you so much for being here. Jeff, I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, first of all, you know, we'll we'll get to the USFL stuff in a, in a little bit and your playing career. But uh, again, you just uh, retired after a long career at Florida Citrus Sports, and you did a number of things there. Um, one as the director of their summer camp program, which is a big initiative of their foundation, uh, free camp for low income families in the Central Florida area. Um, can you talk to me about those summer camps and, uh, and and what they meant not only to you but to Florida Citrus Sports? But Jeff, yes, I tell you, I, I've been very, very fortunate to have uh, 20 plus years at Florida Sister Sports and, and be the director of their uh, summer camp program as well as the director of the Florida Classic, which is also another big event, a major event uh, that they have at the stadium. But the summer camp is a program, just as you mentioned, was for 
underprivileged kids, boys and girls, um, uh, in middle schools from grade uh, five through uh, eight, and uh, we would. Uh, it was a eight weeks summer camp program, uh, no cost at all to the uh, to the individuals involved, and uh, it was a sports educational type camp. Uh, Jeff, where what we would do is give them uh, sporting activities in the morning time, such as swimming, soccer, basketball, football, dance. And then in the afternoon, Jeff, we would take them to an educational program where we put together a program to enhance their computer skills. We would have everybody from the mayor to the sanitation department to come in and talk to the kids about the importance of education staying away from drugs, peer pressure, setting goals to go to college, and uh, it really worked for the uh, for the kids that um, that got an opportunity to participate. Uh, we had 150 kids uh, each year going through the summer camp, and it was very beneficial to the community. And, uh, you know, of all the years you run those camps, uh, you know, uh, I can imagine that uh, that after the years, you probably had some of these uh, young kids come back uh, uh, and see you later as, as young adults, probably, and, uh, and, 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 and find that so worthy, right? Well, you are right on, Jeff, because of the fact that I've, I've had a number of students that obviously participated in the camp uh, that came back, and, and, and not only... Not only came back, but came back as adults and had their children in the camp. <laughs> so, so they had their children in the camp, and they and they was telling their children how at one time they were a participant in the camp. So, um, so it's very good to see that the program was definitely working well and doing a good job in the community and helping kids get along. And future there and help their uh, future career. Yeah, and you mentioned also that uh, you are the direct, the were the director of the Florida Classic, the annual showdown uh, between Bethune Cookman and Florida A and M, the nation's largest HBCU football game. Um, you know what a what a tremendous thrill to be part of that rivalry and 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 how that has grown over the years. Oh, it has, Jeff, and I, you know being the largest <clears throat> excuse me black football college a game in the country and, and having the opportunity to be able to participate in it was just a, a, a dream come true. Um, you know, obviously, like you say, between the Thune Cookman and Vanderbilt University, we would just literally pack the stadium each and every year. You could not find a ticket for this particular event. And it was an event that just wasn't on Saturday for a football game. This event started like on a Wednesday. You know, I mean, we would have different activities going on, so far as such as, you know, coaches' luncheons and and such as player events and and such as alumni events. So this was just not a football game on Saturday. This event actually started probably on a Wednesday and went all the way through a Saturday with different events going on to be able to participate in this major event. Yeah, and uh, not to mention the uh, Battle of the Bands. The Battle of the Bands is probably almost as big as the game. <laughs> I tell you, you know, you, 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 if you did not see Battle of the Bands, you missed the Frost Classic, you know, because obviously it, it holds its own with the reputation that each uh, university has from a band perspective. 
They are renowned for each one of their programs at each university. So therefore, it was a treat every Friday night to be able to be a part and see the Battle of the Bands. And not only Battle of the Bands, too, because obviously, like I said, we had uh, everywhere between 10, 9 to 10 high school bands participate. So that gave the opportunity for those high school bands to be able to get out there and participate and show off their talent as well. And, of course, you know, Florida Sister Sports obviously puts on a, a pair of bowl games each and every year, and it's not like uh, that, that that you guys, you know, only worked for a few weeks of the year. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, go into place into, in, into putting on bowl games, and uh, I know you uh, did a lot of coordinating with the schools that uh, uh, were participating in uh, the, the Capital One Bowl, the Chance Sports Bowl, et cetera. So uh, can you can you talk about what, what it's like the, the weeks leading up to uh, those big bowl games being played in Orlando? Well, hey, Jeff, like you said, uh, being a part of, uh, of the bowl game series and, and Florida Central Sports uh, was a partner with all of the five major conferences. So um, so we were able to uh, get uh, teams that nine times out of ten, they had, every, they had a record of at least nine to ten to eleven win seasons. So therefore, we were one of the first two picks of their particular conference as a bowl that they would send their uh, top teams to. And it was just a pleasure to be able to work with the, the ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big 12, you know, conferences uh, that we work with to be able to fill the, uh, the slots uh, that participated in our game. So, uh, like I said, nine times out of ten, we, got, we, we were able to get uh, teams that had, uh, like I said, anywhere from nine to ten to eleven wins and to be able to match up very well to be able to put on an outstanding bowl season uh, each and every year. Well, again, congratulations on your retirement uh, for a long career there. Um, let's get in and talk about uh, your your playing days. Uh, you know, you uh, you played at Clemson University, uh, fifty nine catches, six touchdowns in your three years uh, playing football there. Are you from South Carolina? Yeah, I'm originally from South Carolina, uh, uh, and I was very fortunate and very blessed to be able to. Uh, I get a full scholarship to be able to attend Clemson University. And, um, you know, I can say during my time, though, as you know, Clemson, as of today, during my time, we wasn't that, we weren't that good. Uh, we didn't win many ball games, but, you know, obviously our, I consider our uh, time at Clemson uh, set the, the standard or set the pace in terms of the success that they're having at this point in time over the number of years that they've had it. But, I mean, during my time, like I'm saying now, we took some 2-9 two, two and nine win, 2-9 and nine seasons, and some 3-8 and eight seasons, and some really tough seasons. But the bigger thing behind that is that the Clemson fans stuck with us, no matter what the season was, how we uh, came out that particular season, our fans stuck with us. And once again, that, that leads up to... I could feel a lot of success that they're having uh, in the last number of years. And then, of course, after uh, after graduating Clemson, uh, you played in the Canadian Football League, and you played uh, what is it? Uh, I want to say six of your seven seasons with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. 
And uh, you had uh, the last two seasons there had some incredible numbers, 91 catches for uh, 1,715 yards and 14 touchdowns in 81. and 82, you follow that up with 102 catches, 1,692 yards and seven TDs there. I mean, you're putting up the kind of numbers that they didn't start putting up in the NFL until the 90s, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you. I appreciate that. Look, we being very, very fortunate and very, very blessed uh, to be able to play six years in the Canadian Football League Enjoy every minute of it. I tell you what, that is a great league up there. And uh, you had a number of NFL players uh, uh, started in the Canadian League before they came down to the NFL. Uh, so I was very fortunate to be able to go up there and and, uh, and have a lot of success and was able to um, to lead the league in, in, in receptions and, and make a, a couple of all-star teams and... Uh, you know, once again, just very, very fortunate to have that opportunity to do that. So, you know, you, obviously the rules are different in Canada, bigger field, uh, three downs, uh, you know, being able to go in motion offense. What was the biggest adjustment you, you had to make playing in the CFL? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it wasn't that big, Jeff, because like I'm saying now, in terms of, of, of uh, if, if, if anything, it probably was the motion, now that I really kind of maybe think about it. But, I mean, having three downs and especially being a wide receiver, then you know they throw in the football. So I love every minute of that, <laughs> you know, because I know good and well they were going to be throwing the football. We had to throw the football to be able to accomplish and getting the first down uh, uh, at least eight out of ten times that, um, that you were trying for. So, therefore, I loved it as a receiver. And then on top of that, as you mentioned, they had a wide field. They have a field, something like, something like a soccer field. You see what I'm saying? Well, matter of fact, it ain't something like a soccer field. It ain't a soccer field uh, in terms of dimensions. But uh, and, and having so much more room to work with than on a regular uh, football field that we have here in the States, then it was, a, it was a joy to be able to play and have that much room and then to be able to have the opportunity, obviously, to be able to work against a defensive back and, and, and do different moves and still have room to be able to to make a reception if the ball was thrown your way. And, of course, after 1982, you, you had that, that big 102-catch season. Um, there's an upstart football league called the USFL starting in 1983, and uh, you become a member of the Washington Federals. So what went into your decision? You're coming off a, you know, a, a great season in the CFL for a brand-new football league. What went into your decision to make that move? Well, Jeff, I tell you, you know, it was, it was really hard to be able to make that decision, to be able to jump from the Canadian League to the USFL. But um, I, I, you know, I wanted to get an opportunity to be able to play in the States. And, and one of the biggest things that, uh, that influenced me to some degree, for sure, was the culture of the USFL. Uh, in Washington, the first year in 1985, the head coach was a gentleman by the name of, of Ray Yock. And Ray Yock was a coach in Canada uh, 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 for the uh, Manitoba team. And um, I played against Ray Yock in Canada. Hmm. So therefore, Ray Yock got in contact with me and, and he was saying, you know, this, is, this team is coming. We'd love to have you uh, come join us. So um, that kind of gave me a little comfortability 
as well. Now, him being the head coach, I've already, I played against him a number of years in the Canadian football league. So, like I said, he was in, he was in Manitoba and, um, uh, uh, uh uh, uh, the Blue Bombers, that's what they used to call them, the Manitoba Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so after playing against them, he knew, I guess, you know, obviously he knew of me uh, from the Canadian Football League, the six years uh, that I played there. And um, by having him uh, uh, sign off on this new league coming, and then that helped uh, in my decision-making to be able to uh, make that transition. Yeah, and uh, 83 with the Federals. You caught 63 passes, uh, six touchdowns, 959 yards. And then 1984, 98 catches, 1,410 yards, and 13 touchdowns. A, a tremendous season. Uh, so, so yeah, you you had to think, okay, well, uh, if you had, the coach has Canadian influence, they're going to throw the football. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, especially when you think about, uh, you know, knowing Ray Yock and, and knowing that a number, like I said, he spent – a number of years up there playing in Manitoba, I mean, coaching in Manitoba, that um, that he probably would have a, a, a throwing football team. Uh, um, uh, then, uh, then I came to Orlando in 1985, and we played the one here year uh, at the Orlando Renegades, and um, and uh, and we're very fortunate once again to be able to um, to to have a good season from a personal perspective, maybe not as, uh, obviously not as good from a, a, a team perspective. And once again, that's all about it, being a, a team and, and, and trying to do everything you can for your team to be able to, you know, help them win and help them be successful. Yeah, and of course, as you mentioned, uh, the, the the Federals were basically relocated to Orlando because they had financial problems uh, up in D.C., so they become the Renegades, so Orlando gets a professional football team. It's it's how Joey Walters ends up in Central Florida, and uh, you had 58 catches that season uh, with five touchdowns, and, uh, and you know... Can you kind of recall for me, you know, uh, playing here in Orlando? What was it like playing for Lee Corso, who was the head coach, and of course now known obviously as the godfather of uh, the best college pregame show ever? Uh, what was it like playing for for Lee Corso? I tell you, it was, it was a joy playing for Lee. Lee was a, a a a quote quote if you want to say a player's coach in terms of of of. of being able to to reach out to players and being able to to communicate with players, um, you know, it's unfortunate that um, we did not have uh, uh, the type of season that we would like to have had uh, during his time here. But it was a joy playing for me, and, and every time I get an opportunity to to speak with me, and, and I see me at different events here and there, then we definitely reminisce about. Uh, the 1985 season that we had a chance to be able to uh, be together here in Orlando. But it was an absolute joy playing for him. And once again, our fans here in Orlando that we had for the Orlando Renegades, you know, they kept us emotionally high as much as they could going through a pretty tough season. But once again, you know, you, 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 you put all your efforts in trying to to do the best the very best you can to be able to for your team and uh, for your fans to continue to support you when you're down and not doing well, then that was a plus as well. 
Yeah, and you know, of course, uh, the USFL, you know, in 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 its uh, in its short life, it, you know, had built a lot of traction. Uh, you know, you know, Steve Spurrier had Bandit Ball over in Tampa. You had Herschel Walker with the New Jersey Generals. You had Jim Kelly putting up humongous numbers with, with Houston. Um, you know, then the decision was made at, uh, about uh, trying to go head to head with the NFL. Did the players themselves want to go head to head with the with the NFL at that time? Jeff, I, I, you know, I, I can't speak for all the players, but I don't. I, I definitely can probably speak for the players on our on our team, and I don't. And I would say generally that the players did not have anything to do with that. I mean, that was strictly an, an ownership perspective, and and to be honest with you, from what I heard, and, and like I said, this is just from a lot of hearsay, as you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure, as you know, uh, Donald Trump was an owner of one of the teams. Mm -hmm. He was the owner of the New Jersey Generals. And from my understanding, he was the major interval that wanted to do and make that move. And you had a lot of owners or other owners that did not want to make that move. And... um, Obviously, it played out uh, due, I guess, to his influence, and it cost the league. You know, it cost the league in terms of going up against the NFL, and and NFL, from what I understand and from what I've heard, you know, they began to get to a number of the uh, TV outlets and, and, and threatened to be able to pull their games if they put on any, any USFL games or if they partner with the USFL game, then they would pull the NFL games from their networks. So it was a whole, you know, a whole realm of things going on there in terms of what defaulted the league. But like I said, from my, from what, from what I've heard, um, he was the, uh, the main ticket that, that wanted to go up up against the NFL, and, um, and that's how it happened. So do you think if the league had stayed in the spring and, and continued as it, as, it, as it had been, do you think it would have had a longer life and maybe even still be around today? No doubt. I, I definitely, because like I'm saying now, is that, I mean, it, it, you know, you go back and look, a number of players, and you just named a few, that were in the USFL, like the Herschel Walkers, and, and you know, I mean, like uh, uh, what was the, court, the quarterback who won the NFL championship, Doug Williams, and I mean, you just had Jim Kelly. I mean, you uh, you had a number of athletes in terms of um, that were able to transition over to the NFL that was in the USFL, mm-hmm. and and I definitely believe had we stayed in the spring where we was to continue to be able to get our footing, then maybe in a few years, seven or eight years down the road, you may, you may try to make that transition, but not for a, 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 a league that is under three years old try to make that transition against the NFL, against the NFL that's been around for years and years and years, <laughs> you see. So, um, so I definitely believe had had the league stayed in the in, in the springtime, and if it stayed in the springtime and just played in the springtime, and that would have been their time frame, then they would have lasted, you know, who knows how long. 
Because yeah. like I said, one thing about it, you gotta realize there's just not there's not enough teams in the NFL to be able to accommodate all the all the players that are coming out of college that can play. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know that that that's why a lot of times the the Canadian Football League comes in. You know, because there's just not enough spots for the number of athletes that can play in the NFL. There's just not enough. There's not enough spots for them there because we are producing so many more athletes from the different colleges that we have here in the states. That obviously the NFL has a has a a number. You know, they got to have. I don't know what that number is. Sixty players at the max, and they may have ten to fifteen uh, uh, replacement players that they can put on the roster, and they have a total of you know maybe seventy seventy five players, and that's it. You know, so um, so that hurts the number of athletes that we're producing each and every year in terms of their ability to be able to make an NFL team. Well, one thing's for sure. I mean, I think I think there's enough of an appetite for spring football. You know, we've had some recent uh, uh, leagues try to get their footing. The XFL is going to try to come back again. Um, and then now the rebirth of the USFL, and they're going to have the old USFL logo and everything. Um, I, I trust you're going to be uh, going to be having a, a soft spot in your heart and, and rooting for the USFL to, to be successful. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed uh, my three years of playing in the USFL. And like I said, it was a very good league. And uh, obviously, with the number of athletes uh, that was in the league, you know, uh, you know everybody from the Doug Flutie's, because he was in the league as well, you know, I mean, uh, that, that, um, that made the league uh, uh, what it is or what it was at that particular point in time showed that uh, uh, that it was a, a league that could stick around, a league that can compete and get some of the top college athletes to be able to come over to their league opposed to going to uh, uh, the NFL. You see what I'm saying? Because, I mean, when you get, you know, like I said, the people like Herschel Walkers and Doug Flutie and, and, and uh, Doug Williams and all those individuals. Uh, um, to, Steve uh, Young would be another one, yeah. Yeah, Steve Young, you know what I mean, uh, uh, to be able to play in your league opposed to going to a league that all of those athletes knew, only knew. Because at one time, all of those athletes, the, the USFL wasn't in existence, so all they knew was the NFL. So they grew up with the NFL. Uh, but for them to bypass the NFL and come to the USFL, then um, that, 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 that shows something right there. You know, that shows something like good and bad. And, of course, you did uh, play in 1987 uh, with the Houston Oilers. I believe that was during the strike season. Is that correct? That is correct. I, got, I did get a chance to play uh, during the strike season for a year with the uh, with the uh, Houston Oilers, when they used to be called the Houston Oilers. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and uh, that was very rewarding. I, I was very – got an opportunity to, uh, to play and, and was able to um, – uh, to be able to start and be a starting receiver for them during that time. And, and once the strike was over with, they kept me around for the remainder of the season. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, they kept me around for the, once the, once the, once the, uh, uh, the strike was over with and, and, and um, the original players came back, and they did keep me around for the rest of the year. So, um, so that was a blessing. And, and, you know, at that point in time, I was – you know, I had already done played nine or ten years in, in, in football and, 
so um, for them to keep me around as, as a possible uh, um, receiver, if somebody got hurt or something of that nature, uh, then, um, then that was a blessing. Yeah, and then uh, you know, of course, you you know, your 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 path through uh, football and all that stuff. You end up in Orlando uh, as a as a longtime resident and a and a major factor in the sports community. Um, you've got a, it's been quite a journey for you. It has, you know. I mean, I, I'm like I said once again, very very fortunate, very very blessed. You know, I mean, I started with a uh, a very very special group to my heart, and and that was a group with Manny Garcia and and. Gav Gar, uh, who ran all the Burger Kings here in town. <clears throat> um, that's who I started with uh, in 1985. After the after the season folded, uh, uh, Mr. Garcia was a, a a partial owner of the uh, of the Orlando Renegades, and um, you know once the season ended, he offered me a position uh, to work in his marketing department. Uh, and um, I worked there for 13 years, and and um, you know in, in, in his marketing department, uh, um, and and then you know transitioned over to Florida Citrus Sports in 1999, and um, you know it's been it's been 20 plus years there, and and um, it's been a good career. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, I I, I loved the USFL when it was around, and, and you know, when I and, you know, I was born and raised in Orlando, um, you know, so I followed the Bandits first because they were they were they were the the closest team, and then we got the Renegades, and I was so happy about that. And you were one of the faces of the franchise, and I know back then I worked at uh, WKIS Radio, and uh, we carried uh, the Renegades games, and on the broadcast crew was one Chris Russo who uh, went to fame and fortune in New York City. As the Mad Dog, and I and uh, and I remember you uh, being on uh, with us on a remote show one time, and uh, you're always so gracious, and it was uh, it was uh, it was it was such a great time uh, to to enjoy sports in Orlando when the Renegades were here. It, it was, it was, Jeff, and, and like I said, especially during the springtime of the year, you know, people are just getting out, and and, and now uh, they have. Uh, something like this to be able to embark on and go out to and support and that type of thing. So it it, it was a good fit. It was a good fit all the way around, and the timing was right, and um, it just worked. And, and then, you know, once again, when you have uh, 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 put on a good product and some of the top athletes come and, and, and play and, and you know them and you begin to get comfortable with them, and they're some of your favorite stars. And then, um, then it was a it was a good fit. So it was a good league, had a good time, and um, I definitely once again had believed with all heart that you know it could stay during that time frame. It could be a very well be in existence today. All right. Well. Uh... Joey, this has been a blast. I've enjoyed enjoyed the visit, and uh, and, and again, congratulations on your retirement. Uh, do you have any uh, big retirement uh, 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 trips planned? Any anything fun on the horizon? No, Jeff, not 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 as of yet. Um, uh, anyway, it's, it's shortly lived. It's shortly here. I just retired, you know, less than a month ago. So I'm just uh, getting 
the gist of this retirement thing. So, <laughs> you know, I'm used to getting up and, and trying to get in work and making everything uh, work and, and getting on out there and trying to get it done. So uh, I'm pretty sure that um, I'll get uh, I'll get used to it uh, in a little while. And But um, thus far, I've just been taking it easy a little while, just trying to um, uh, put everything together and make sure everything is in place. And then I'll... We'll see about taking a trip sometime soon. Well, that's outstanding again, Joey. Thank you so much for your time, and we wish you the very, very best. Uh, Thanks again for being on. Jeff, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And we'll be right back to close things out with the TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon, weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com, because class is always in session around here, virus or no virus. The unmistakable theme from MASH, the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital, an American war comedy drama TV series aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. I think it was like almost four times longer than the actual Korean War. It was developed by Larry Gelbart as the first original spinoff series adapted from the 1970 feature film MASH. And that was uh, based on Richard Hooker's 1968 novel MASH, a novel about three army doctors. The series, produced at 20th Century Fox for CBS, follows the team of doctors and support staff stationed at the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. And again, that uh, Korean War lasted from 1950 to 1953. Now, for the first three seasons, the show's ensemble cast included Alan Alda as Captain Benjamin Franklin Hawkeye Pierce, Loretta Swit as Head Nurse Major Margaret Hotlips Houlihan, Jamie Farr as Corman Maxwell Klinger, William Christopher as Chaplain Father Mulcahy, Wayne Rogers as Trapper John McIntyre, McLean Stevenson as Company Commander Henry Blake, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake, that is, and the guy who I don't think got enough credit, Larry Linville as Major Frank Burns. You know, to me, he goes down as one of the fine actors because the guy that goes all in on being the the weaselly, snivelly, uh, butt of the jokes, the foil to the 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 good guys in Hawkeye and Trapper and later BJ, uh, Larry Linville went all in, <laughs> and to me was a so unsung in that TV show. Also, Gary Berghoff was the company clerk, Corporal Walter Radar O'Reilly could hear things before they happen. And of course, after the third season, Wayne Rogers, who was uh, Trapper John, decided to bow out of the show. McLean Stevenson 
uh, left as well. Their characters were written out. Mike Farrell came in as Captain B.J. Honeycutt, Harry Morgan as Colonel Sherman Potter, and uh, after Larry Linville left, David Ogden Stiers as Major Charles Innocent Winchester III. And uh, after Gary Berghoff left the show, Max Klinger became the company clerk. G.W. Bailey joined the cast to play Sergeant Rizzo. And uh, again, MASH, one of the great long-running drama sitcoms of all time. My favorites were the early years. Um, of course, uh, uh, with the Trapper, Hawkeye, and the way they uh, took down Frank Burns early and often. And... Uh, McLean Stevenson, and of course, we played the theme to Hello, Larry. That's, I think it was the sitcom after the sitcom he he uh, tried and uh, never quite achieved the uh, same level of uh, of fame, if you will. The uh, show's title sequence features the instrumental version of Suicide is Painless. That was the original film's theme song. And the, uh, uh, again, uh, the most watched Grand finale, the final episode, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, at that time, was the most watched TV broadcast in American history from 1983 until 2010, and again, the most watched finale of any TV series. So uh, there you go with that. And you and I got to do a little bit of, uh, you know, I was talking about Larry Linville and a guy going all in on, you know, the character, uh, you know, skipping aside for a moment, uh, want to remember Frank Bonner from WKRP in Cincinnati, who played Herb Tarlick, the crazy-dressed <laughs> salesman. Uh, you know, had the, the white belts and the, the polyester suits and the funky shoes and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, was such a, again, talk about guys that go all into the character. He made that a memorable character. And... Uh, that, that, of course, what he was well-known for. But he actually uh, wanted to be more behind the camera and ended up doing uh, quite a bit of stuff uh, on some uh, big TV shows as well. So I wanted to take a, remem- a moment to remember Frank Bonner as the great Herb Tarlick from WKRP. And that's going to do it for this week. So with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.